On today's episode, we talk with Rick Fisto from the Star Wars 5e Discord. Hello and welcome to Dungeon Jedi Masters, a podcast discussing everything Star Wars 5e. My name is Todd, I've got Tegan here, and we're looking forward to jumping into hyperspace with you. Let's go! Hello, everyone, and welcome to Dungeon Jedi Masters Podcast, episode 34. Tegan, how are you doing today? Yeah, doing pretty well. I uh, actually just kind of enjoying a little bit of the cooler weather and kind of getting ready for fall. Yeah, it's definitely here. We've had, uh, you know, I think we mentioned last week it was like 70 plus, which was insane. And now we're getting that, you know, more traditional cooler weather. But uh, it's good, good change of pace here as we come into the getting close to the holiday season. Definitely. So um, on today's podcast, we have a special guest with us, uh, Rick from the Star Wars 5e Discord, uh, Rick Fisto, also known as Legobus. So we're going to talk to him about uh, his involvement with the game, and he's done a lot with uh, putting together the um, Fisto's Codex, which is like the monster manual, the unofficial side of it at least, and just learn about uh, that process. So uh, looking forward to that a little bit later. But first, a few things on our end. Uh, We do have a new Patreon member, uh, Brian. Thank you very much for your support there and to all our other ones as well. We appreciate it very much. Today, we also have uh, our monthly freebie uh, for everyone out there. And uh, that is going to be uh, to kind of go along with today's uh, episode. Uh, We're going to put together some, um, if you're familiar with uh, Matt Koval's action-oriented monsters, we're going to create some some of those actions that you can utilize uh, to throw into a monster, uh, some suggestions for that, uh, which is very cool. I know, Tegan, you've used this quite a bit, uh, and it's, it's worked out pretty good. Yeah, it's it's fun way to do it. I actually just did a uh, an encounter for my regular. Uh, so I have a traditional D and D game and my two Star Wars games, uh, and I just made uh, some action oriented monsters for my traditional D and D game. Uh, and it's fun. It's just kind of an easy way to tweak a fight and just add some extra elements into it uh, without having to spend a ton of time like researching spells and all that. You just gotta build in what you want to do and throw it on the monster block. Yeah, it's a great way. I've, I've used it a little bit uh, myself, and it's such a great system. So hopefully this will help you guys out there to kind of see at least some examples of how you can utilize this uh, and, and maybe apply them to your own. So that'll be found on our Patreon, uh, but it will be a freebie, so you don't have to be a, um, a patron to get that. And of course, uh, that and all of our other uh, Dungeon Jedi Master content can be found on our website, DungeonJediMasters.com. So be sure to check that out. Uh, on the Star Wars 5e side, there is a new variant rule. Tegan, if you want to cover that, uh, a rest variant. Definitely. So this is uh, kind of a way to switch it up. Uh, something kind of similar to what's found in the DMG for traditional D&D. Uh, it's just a longer rest version. Uh, so this is going to be a good way, especially... Uh, I, because it's kind of built as for overpowered PCs. I find it more if it fits better with your narrative. Uh, for, so this, I'll 
kind of look at it depending on how you want to go for your game. Uh, if you'd rather have things spaced out over more time without having to worry about your players coming up super refreshed for each fight after they get a long rest in, this would be one I'd recommend to you. Uh, it increases the kind of downtimes for each piece. Uh, it adds something called a quick rest, uh, which is kind of the traditional, or which is the, the time frame of a traditional short rest, I could say, uh, where it allows you to spend a hit die uh, to get some HP back, but it's just one hit die, or uh, one or more hit die, but it doesn't give you like the other short rest pieces like so like for a monk they wouldn't get their focus back or for tech casters they wouldn't get their uh charges back on their tech uh then there's a traditional short rest which would be kind of taking the place of a long rest uh where it's that eight hours of time where you can kind of sleep for six and do some light activity and then you'd get all your short rest abilities back uh then there's uh what the long rest would be is actually a, a full week of downtime uh, or actually at least two days long of, of downtime uh, where you can sleep for some time and kind of just do some light activity for the other times. Uh, so this is one of those ones I, I take a look at and as I mentioned, but I think it would fit best for, especially if you're going to have some time where a character or in your game where it's going to be sometimes between fights or there's going to be a narrative reason why they just can't, fit all their stuff into an adventuring day i think this would be the version to go to to really make sure you're balanced for that yeah definitely it's it's definitely an interesting thing it, i think it as you said the it it applies to a specific narrative uh for sure uh so anyone out there that's looking at that uh you know definitely do keep that in mind that it's not simply you know you can't just implement it and still continue creating your encounters as normal because uh, they'll get uh, dicey towards the end there if, if your players aren't recharging. So, But still, a, a cool thing to, to consider and maybe uh, give you a, a little more gritty uh, campaign potentially. So good stuff there. All right. So uh, we have uh, two new DM spotlights to highlight today. Uh, so I know uh, somebody reached out to me the other day, wanted to submit those. So we're still getting a couple in, which is awesome. Uh, yeah, get into those today. So uh, first one up uh, that I have is from David Broadbent. Uh, they have uh, their first time DM. Always good to see uh, people coming to uh, our side of the the table there. Uh, they jump straight into Star Wars 5e after a couple sessions of uh, traditional 5e. Their Star Wars 5e campaign is called The New Order. And this is actually a really cool concept uh, as I was reading through it. So it's set a month after the event's the events of episode nine uh, and they wanted to work off a blank slate so they went off the concept that uh, Palpatine's uh, lightning strike uh, that he did there uh, awoke innate force sensitivity in uh, some of the people that were struck uh, which connected them in the force so their campaign explores what would happen if a group that ranges from uh, a Twi'lek uh, performer to a uh, Kakarkadon bounty hunter were to develop force sensitivity without the confines of a Jedi order or prior training. So excellent concept here. You know, they used an event from that movie and it, it basically, you know, as he said, woke up this force sensitivity, uh, which I think would be super cool to explore. Uh, they've been going for 13 sessions so far and they have five players at level five. So very cool. Tegan, uh, over to you for the other one. Definitely. Uh, so this uh, player's uh, the name is uh, the Daibindu. Uh, he's been playing 5e for about five years. Uh, started DMing three years ago, so he's uh, definitely got some good experience there. Uh, that he found uh, Star Wars 5e and uh, put in here. He said, "Thought, why not Star Wars and D&D?" Uh, so this kind of uh, something he's really been looking forward to. Uh, his campaign name uh, is Tales from Corellia. 
Uh, so it's set between Return of the Jedi and The Force Awakens. Uh, so definitely another one uh, using uh, the new sequel errors. Uh, and basically uh, a group of strangers are drawn to the planet Corellia for different uh, personal reasons. After a few run-ins with uh, the heavy Black Sun presence on the planet, uh, the party infiltrates uh, the Black Sun as agents to discover how and why uh, they seem to be recruiting such a large amount of Force sensitives. Uh, so and while on Corellia, the party will discover the ancient history of the planet and its connection to the Black Sun conspiracy. Uh, so definitely a fun one. I love Black Sun as a group too. So there's all some cool stuff you can do with that uh, uh, that organization. Uh, this campaign has been running for about two years, so definitely a long running one. Uh, and he says uh, they play pretty consistently for a few months, so then usually oh, so they kind of kind of go back and forth. But they play for a few months, so then usually play another campaign for a while to kind of break it up. Uh, currently, they've got uh, three characters at level five too. Uh, it seems like a lot of people are embracing the sequels too, so it's kind of cool seeing some games set in that era. Yeah, we, we kind of touched on that last week. I think it was that, uh, you know, just I, I think I, you know, I don't see a lot of it, but uh, it seems like it's coming up that people are, are as you said, utilizing that era and, you know, that specific content. So um, that's great. Absolutely. So thank you to you, uh, both of you guys for your submissions there and anyone out there that still wants to. Um, the I'm going to get the link for this back into our podcast description. It kind of fell off the copy paste. Uh, so you will be able to uh, submit your campaign if you like and haven't done so. So thank you. Uh, I think that's everything uh, initially on our end. So we're going to go ahead and jump into this interview with Rick uh, and talk to him about uh, making monsters. Hello, everyone. We've got Rick here with us today. Uh, how are you doing today, sir? I'm great. Thank you for having me. So glad for you to be here. Uh, many of you out there would know him as Rick Fisto on the Star Wars 5e Discord, or depending on how long you've been around, uh, maybe as Legobis as well. Uh, but uh, Rick is one of our uh, one of the main members behind uh, putting together the you know so far unofficial monster manual, if you will, for Star Wars 5e. So we just thought uh, you know we'd have you on and and kind of discuss that a little bit. Um, but, uh, you know, first off, uh, we always love to hear uh, from our guests, you know, how you got involved with uh, tabletops in general and what's that story been for you? Sure. Well, I, I might date myself with this one, but um, I've, I've been playing since freshman year of college. So that's about 19 years now. Um, and, you know, there are a lot of years where we didn't have a game going or um, we play once a month or something while we were uh, having new kids uh, with my play group or whatever. But um, we started off in college with um, third edition, played a lot of that. Then uh, one-off GURPS game, I played some 4E, some Rogue Trader. And uh, right now I'm, uh, I've been GMing for a while um, a 4E zombie apocalypse game uh, that ran for a number of years. And then recently a, a sort of a Call of Cthulhu style uh, 5E game using the Star Wars 5E rule set. Interesting, quite the mashup there. Yeah, I've heard you mention the Call of Cthulhu game before. That one sounds pretty interesting, especially with the Star Wars rules. Uh, how did you kind of get come up with that idea? Yeah, well, uh, we we originally were just going to use Five E rules because that's what my players are familiar with. Um, but since I started with uh, the Star Wars Five E group around the same time, um, I found that the especially the tech powers system worked really well to. Uh, let you play a more modern character, like an engineer type, 
Um, and it just requires a little bit of reflavoring of some of the, of the tech things. Um, and then I layer on a sanity rule set from the trail of Cthulhu system, uh, just to kind of keep track of like mental stability for the players. Very nice. nice. Yeah, that sounds very cool. I want to, I, that's a system I want to check out, uh, Cthulhu here eventually, but uh, it's an interesting way to mash it up for sure. So you you touched on a little bit of getting into Star Wars 5e. H- how did that come about? I know many of us have that story of we just, we wanted to play Star Wars D&D and, and we came across it. Uh, what did that look like for you? Yeah, similar. Um, we had been talking about um, after the zombie apocalypse game came to an end, what we might do next. And Star Wars was on our list of things to run. And so um, I had been initially thinking of trying to reskin and lighten up a uh, rogue trader a little bit and run a rogue trader game in the star Wars universe, but, um, did a quick Google search to see if there was something out there that I could use and ran across the group. And so then I sort of lurked on the discord for a while and then sort of started out small wanting to contribute a little bit. So I wrote a couple of backgrounds, um, a couple of species, and then I kind of really got going when, um, Steve, our fearless leader, mentioned that he didn't want to have any named villains in the uh, bestiary or the uh, monster manual. And I was pretty let down by that because I want, I want to be able to kill Darth Vader or Boba Fett. <laughs> right. Um, and so uh, I started making up some of my own monsters um, and, and giving them cheeky names like legendary Trandoshan bounty hunter or whatever with a picture of Bosk on it. And, um, yeah, I just started making them and collecting them and sprucing up existing monsters, adding flavor text to make it look a little bit more like a, a professional monster manual and uh, kind of ran from there. Very nice. Yeah, definitely uh, has has blown up since then. Uh, are you playing any Star Wars 5e games now or is you doing just your mashup game with that? And then, um, you know, what's your favorite uh, class within the Star Wars 5e system? Yeah, um, well, we, I, I played uh, briefly for a, a few months during the, the COVID um, crisis uh, over uh, over voice chat with some of my friends, uh, but that eventually had to end. Um, but I am in a uh, play-by-post Star Wars 5e game right now uh, on the Discord, and um, that's been a lot of fun. Um, I've been playing a Berserker, which is interesting because I've never played a you know, Barbarian or anything before, so it's all new to me. Um, in in the brief game, I played a given arms tech engineer, which was a lot of fun. Uh, I think I'd probably be most interested in playing a sentinel next. Uh, I I tend to like uh, skill based characters uh, more than combat powerhouses, so that's what I'm looking forward to if I get a, another chance to play. Nice, uh, sentinels are a fun one, uh, especially uh, just with the new skill rules too. Uh, you'll definitely enjoy that class. Yeah, looking forward to it. Yeah, that's uh, same boat uh, is in regards to the barbarian. I just rolled up one in a traditional five E game myself, so that's a cool class. It's it's always fun to try out, you know, a new class and you know just kind of learn what they have to offer. So, but yeah, so let's get into you know more about this this monster manual and and kind of the topic of the day was was uh, touching on you know monster creation and whatnot. Um, so we, uh, we know that, uh, you know, you're a published, uh, monster designer, which is pretty cool. Uh, mm-hmm. the Tome of Beasts, uh, volume two, uh, by Cobalt Press. Uh, you've got something in there. Uh, tell us how, uh, that came about. Yeah, sure. Um, well, I'm, I've always been sort of a, a fan of monster manuals. I find they are a great inspiration for DMing my own 
campaigns just leafing through them. And um, I owned the first volume of Cobalt Press already. And so when Cobalt Press um, started a Kickstarter for volume two of the Tome of Beasts, I decided to back it. And as part of um, the backer level that I was at, you were able to submit a monster for consideration and inclusion. And um, I think out of something like 300 submissions, they chose 30 that they liked. And um, one of those is mine. Um, as I mentioned, I'm a big uh, Lovecraft fan, so I wanted to make sure that Lovecraft had some good representation. So I came up with uh, the Dimensional Shambler from his work and uh, put that together. And yeah, so that's in there now. Very cool. Those are all, uh, that's 5e based, right? Correct. Yeah, they're uh, third party 5e products. Right. Awesome. Nice. Yeah. Very cool. So what's... um you know, what's, what's kind of your high level, uh, process, uh, when you go to sit down and, and create uh, a stat block here, uh, you know, something that you kind of go through that you rely on, or is it just, you know, whatever you're trying to put together at the time? Sure. Um, good question. Um, initially when I first started working on this and getting into it, I found that it was easiest to uh, have a, have a monster in mind and look through existing stat blocks and exist, especially in the 5e monster manuals, um, and see if I could adapt something that was already there. Since in the Star Wars 5e system, we didn't have a lot existing, uh, and that was a good way to sort of bootstrap that process along and help me as a designer uh, get going. And then more recently, now that we're more filled out and I'm a little more experienced, um, anytime I want to do a new monster, uh, the first thing I do is try and figure out um, what's sort of a unique uh, flavor-wise about this monster, what what makes it different from others, and maybe what would make for an interesting encounter, and make sure that I design uh, at least one or more features around that flavor to make sure it plays like uh, like you'd see in a movie, sort of. Nice, yeah, kind of a sweet way to go about it. Uh, one of the, the things too, and um, uh, I was kind of curious, just kind of your process as well, uh, especially for the Star Wars system, because finding art I found can sometimes be a little bit trouble or kind of a hard piece to do. Uh, but for the codex and uh, a lot of the different things, you somehow find like always like a sweet piece of art to go with it. Uh, do you usually have kind of a good process of going through that, or any kind of cool databases you search for? It? Oh, thank you for that. Um, no, no great process. Um, I mean, usually just just Google uh, image search. Um, I'm a I'm an attorney by training, and we do a lot of legal research, and so maybe I have more experience uh, doing sort of esoteric, weird word searches uh, or something. But yeah, that's that's my process is usually just going through Google until I find something. Um, with Star Wars, I often try and do research into, um, uh, I'm, I'm forgetting the name of the system now, but there is a, uh, oh, sorry, Shadowrun. Uh, I look for, uh, some Shadowrun pieces every once in a while since they have sort of a gritty tech feel to them. And, uh, there's some good existing artwork out there in that realm. Uh, that's yes. my only, only tip of the trade. 
yeah, that uh, you know, it, it's it's it can be tough to find stuff uh, along those lines, and it's nice to pull, as you said, from other systems or other you know genres. I often you know, I'm looking up uh, cyberpunk type characters when I'm looking for tokens and things like that. So yeah, that's uh, definitely useful to do. Uh, so you mentioned earlier, uh, which is very cool. You, you know, you've run a, a lot of different systems and whatnot, and you and you've you're mashing these together. Uh, how much have you drawn from other systems uh, as you've gotten comfortable with, you know, creating your own uh, stat blocks? Do you find yourself use, utilizing any uh, elements from other systems uh, going forward? Um, I don't use any elements mechanically um, because I find it difficult to figure out how to balance them into the 5e framework but i definitely will go to other systems for inspiration uh flavor wise uh, i've looked through call of cthulhu trail of cthulhu stat blocks before um some pathfinder stat blocks um yeah so I'll, I'll definitely try and take inspiration from them but i don't think i've ever tried to directly translate a, a mechanic before what uh what would you say you know, anyone out there that wants to create, uh, you know, a, a custom monster or whatnot, I know you touched on, um, you know, obviously referencing what's out there. I think that's always a great first step. Uh, but anything else, uh, you know, looking at, you know, your situation, your party, etc. what would be some basic things for someone out there to keep in mind when they want to whip up a stat block themselves? Sure. Um, I think having a good knowledge of your audience is important in any writing that you do. And so if you are a GM looking to design a monster for your campaign, uh, know your characters really well, know how they work, know how you want to challenge them. Um, you know, certain characters are very hard to beat an AC on, for example. And so you might want to target um, one of their uh, ability saves um, maybe turn their strength against them possibly with some sort of mind control, for example. Um, so I think knowing your audience is the the most important key to designing a good encounter and a good new villain. Yeah, I like that a lot. Uh, Tegan, you do, uh, you know, I've, I've played in a couple of your games as well. So I want you to chime in on this because uh, I know you do a lot of, you know, custom uh, creations and whatnot. Anything that you would uh, add to that? Ah, big thing. I kind of know your audience. Uh, I know what you really wanted to do. Because uh, something I've knew I've been doing in my campaigns is pretty much every third session I'll have some custom monster to go along with kind of what's going on in the campaign. Uh, so if you're going to make a custom monster, try to like kind of tailor it to what you really wanted to do uh, in the campaign. Uh, I was kind of bummed we hunted uh, session uh, went a little slower than I expected because you guys have a fun fight ahead of you. Because uh, those are um, all custom monsters that are going to be pretty uh, would be pretty challenging for the party's makeup. Uh, so it's just kind of things like that. So you just kind of look at your players and uh, go through what you really want to kind of see how the fight progress and just build some fun things into it uh, to really go along with it. Uh, and one of the nice thing too is it's not as Rick mentioned like it takes a little while to get into it, but once you get into building monsters, it just gets easier and easier. Uh, Rick was actually the one that uh, kind of got me into to making my own monsters because uh, when I first started with Star Wars, he was the only one that was really building much. So I kept bugging him for monsters. Uh, I decided to start building my own with him too. <laughs> Yeah, I couldn't keep up. Sorry. <laughs> yeah, I get that for sure. And, you know, I, I try and do that a little bit myself. It's definitely a learning, you know, 
uh, a learning curve to it. But um, you know, I'd say Tegan, as a player in those games, you know, you can the the some of the special qualities and things that you give to those monsters, you know, really comes out, and it's not just you know, not that your good old standard stat block from the monster manual is, uh, you know, not exciting, but, uh, yeah, you know, something we'll probably touch on a little bit later as well, but just kind of ways to, uh, make those, those blocks more exciting and whatnot. So always also keep in mind, uh, you want to, if possible, mix your environment with your monster, give your monster more options to interact, uh, with the environment and, and your, your players to interact with the environment. Um, I think that can spice up any adventure any encounter and although this is sort of um uh maybe revealing a little bit behind the curtain here for our gms uh but always be willing to uh change things on the fly uh, i often in encounters with my group uh change hit points on the fly uh just to make sure that the encounter is is satisfying uh for both sides that it's challenging but not overwhelming uh, don't be afraid to to mix things up you're a god use your power <laughs> definitely great way to put it yeah I, I think that's definitely great advice there is especially with star wars 5e i mean we know that you know the the players the pcs uh, they definitely can you know put out some damage and so i think the the hp specifically i would say is the one thing to really be uh, flexible with as a dm so and then the environmental thing we talked about that tegan and i a bit on a dm chat just using environmental factors that's um yeah a, a piece to keep in mind when you are creating your stat block to not just squeeze everything into the stat block and say what other elements can make this encounter because it, it yeah it's a whole picture it's not just the the stat block Definitely. That's one of the things a little harder with Star Wars 5e because a lot of the monsters don't have baked-in lair actions, but uh, kind of use those lair actions like a lot of traditional D&D, some inspiration, just kind of put some Star Wars-y feel to them. Uh, just really kind of give some players some fun to play with with them. Rick, anything else? Uh, any, any, you know, Tegan just mentioned like the lair actions, and I know there's like the you know a bunch of different things like uh, action-oriented or paragon things uh legendary actions uh, anything on in kind of that subject that uh you'd touch on um i have not used much in the way of uh in the paragon rules since steve is planning on developing his own rule set for that but i do like layer actions and i do like legendary actions it uh gives the 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 encounter a little more dynamism and uh, breaks up the flow of combat a little bit so that uh, it's not just monster, player, 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 monster. There's some more give and take, and it makes uh, the situation change and feel more dynamic as the round progresses. So I definitely uh, would urge, especially in any solo or near solo type fights, to try and add some sort of legendary actions to your monster. Yeah, definitely uh, helps a lot uh, with that, you know, action economy and whatnot. So a uh, few more things here. Uh, what uh, what can you tell us on your end is is the on the agenda for the the codex, the monster codex? Yeah, well, right now we were supposed to be doing a lot of editing and we've kind of fallen behind on that. But um, we, we we should do um, some uh, a final census on where all of our monsters are and their challenge ratings and make sure that we've got gaps filled in 
and then uh, once we've got a good range of everything, we want to go through, uh, do an edit sweep to make sure that all the monsters have consistent wording uh, when possible, that sort of thing, make sure that their CRs are all c calculated correctly. Um, and then uh, we'll probably be making a uh, selection from our master set to go into the official monster manual. And then I suspect the other monsters will live on in the codex afterwards. Nice. Uh, out of all the monsters you've made that are in the codex now for Star Wars 5e, uh, is there any that's kind of one of your favorites and one that kind of stands out for you? Yeah, um, I think I really like uh, Abeloth. Uh, she was actually one of my first ones, and she's been changed a lot since the first iteration, but uh, I didn't know anything about her at first uh, until someone, I think, requested her. It might have been you. It was me, actually. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um, and uh, she's a combination initially of, I think, Jubilex and um, one of the other demon lords uh, from 5e um, to try and get some of that sort of cosmic horror flavor into her. Um, and, and, and she's been edited since then, but um, she seems to be a popular uh final uh, big bad for groups and uh is pretty interesting and and she has you know sort of a master stat block and then a uh, preliminary uh, stat block that you need to kind of defeat first and so she's kind of uh, almost got a story built into her two stat blocks already that you can use as a scaffolding for your uh, gming so i recommend that i think you can build a nice campaign around uh defeating that villain yeah, Tegan, have you um, have you used that yet, or I don't, unless uh, that's unless we need to throw spoilers up for that? Uh, so they're uh, pretty much next session. We'll be coming across the Avatar version uh, of her, uh, so they're they're getting closer to uh, to actually fighting. They've uh, encountered bits and pieces of her, but this will be their kind of first real encounter with her uh, next session or two ish. Very cool. You have to let me know how that goes. I'm, I'm looking forward to that one. Uh, it's, it should be a pretty interesting one. <laughs> Awesome. Uh, Tegan, anything else that you uh, think to add or ask? Uh, yeah, that's, that's my big thing. I mean, you, you've done great with the codex. Like, especially, I know I mentioned it before, but the artwork, like, you really make it kind of look more official. Uh, so you've done a phenomenal job with that, man. Well, I'm always impressed by all of Todd's work. Um, so, you know, I try and take inspiration from his work when I can uh, in my own bad way. Appreciate <laughs> it. Yeah, I was, I was just going to say, you know, the artwork is, is somebody that, you know, there's, there's so many you know, creatures and whatever out there. So it definitely helps because then you can look at it and, and then you know kind of what it looks like. So, you know, little things like that definitely help. Um, Rick, anything else from yourself to add here? Uh, that you no, I, I really appreciate the opportunity to, to talk and uh, hopefully help uh, future GMs. Absolutely. Yeah, we appreciate it very much. We love having uh, guests on the show. We know that our listeners enjoy that as well. We love to hear kind of, you know, how you got started with things, uh, and just in hear your backstory into the game. So we appreciate it very much. And uh, we thank you for this. And uh, perhaps down the road, once we, uh, you know, get some of those monsters switched over to the official content, and maybe we'll have you back on for an update. Yeah, and maybe when the, the new Starship rules come out, we can chat too. Yeah, absolutely. Oh, yeah, that too. <laughs> Big one there for sure. So, all right. Well, thank you so much. Uh, have a good rest of your uh, weekend, and we'll uh, talk to you again soon. Thanks for having me, guys. Yep. Thanks, Rick. 
All right. So great time talking with Rick, uh, learning about, uh, you know, his process with the monster manual and, and all that stuff. I always love to have guests on the show and, and just kind of learn about, uh, you know, their experiences with the game. Next up for us uh, next week is going to be an episode on non-combat encounters. We're going to look at things uh, outside of uh, the combat element of the game, uh, you know, maybe touch on some skill challenges, things like that. Just just other ways that you can get characters to, you know, maybe uh, focus on the role play aspect in a way that is, uh, you know, going to move the, the story along as well. And it's not just flavorful RP, which is still something that uh, should happen, but uh, touch on that. Other than that, uh, do make sure to check us out, DungeonJediMasters.com, for all of our content. A huge thank you to all of our listeners, subscribers, and followers. And we'll see you next time. May the Force be with you. May the Force be with you.